compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Stephen Alby. It's like some of you who really enjoy painting, and if you go for a really long time and you, ke- and you haven't been able to paint something, you just find yourself starting to doodle on any piece of paper that you can possibly get. Well, that's how I feel about preaching the Word. There are times where I'll just start doodling randomly on different things, and, uh, and just ideas will come to mind. I love being able to do this, so I appreciate the opportunity. Um, today is graduation Sunday. Today we are celebrating those who have graduated from high school, and I believe some are here, and just real quick, if you wouldn't mind just standing up so that we can acknowledge, acknowledge you publicly and humiliate you just a little bit. Of course, I saw her. There. She thought all the recognition was done at her graduation party, but nope, we're still going to make you stand and wave. Um... What's amazing about a day like today is that not only do we celebrate the graduates that we have from high school, but it gives us a chance to remember and celebrate numerous graduations and changes of life. I mean, right now, these graduates from high school are anticipating this next stage of life, hopefully with joy, hopefully they're looking forward to this next stage, whether it's college, whether it's going right into the working world, whether it's an internship, whether it's going into ministry, in the missions field. We are excited for that, but also I think it's amazing to remember that we all at different points have had graduations, and we should be reminded of this today. I mean, there are some of us who have graduated from uh, high school. Some of our little ones are graduating from grade school into middle school. Some have graduated from pre-K into kindergarten, which is really cool too. Some of us have gone through college graduations, grad school, or I even consider this a time to celebrate when one gets promoted into a different career. But even more than that, even more broad, we should celebrate when things change in a really dramatic way. Like there are some of us who this past year was the first year that we have experienced freedom from a former struggle. And for some of us, this may be the fifth, tenth, even fiftieth year that we have celebrated clean from some form of addiction. And all of these things are things that we should celebrate. We should be reminded of every single year because it reminds us of God's faithfulness. And now, as you saw on the video, we even had some students, if we want to use the term loosely, graduate from a life before knowing Jesus into a life of being known and loved by Jesus, being in a covenant relationship with him. We had four of our junior high students and one of our senior high students give their lives to Christ for the first time this year which is amazing. Yeah, the whole host of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. We just had five. Let's totally applaud for that. Seriously, I don't know if you were able to hear how fired up the students were when we had uh, this happen on a, on a Wednesday a couple weeks ago, but um, if you lived around the area, you probably heard some cheering. It was amazing. Such a powerful, powerful time for these kids. So fired up for them. But now, while... We celebrate these things now. There is that sense of we're on top of this this mountain. We're having this incredible experience. But what happens so often, and something that I would like to address this morning, is what happens when that excitement fades and when life starts to set back in. Now, you know, when you get into college or you get into a different career, sometimes what happens is that that career may present challenges that you didn't know before. 
classes may be a lot harder than you thought, or the job may not seem as glamorous as the person who promoted you made it seem. Or sometimes life just doesn't feel the way that we thought it was going to, or what we thought was going to bring us joy and satisfaction has left us wanting yet again. So what do we do? So many of us, if we're honest, we search for the next thing. So many of us find discontentment in one thing and then say, well, you know what, maybe if I just stick through it and I get that next promotion. Or maybe if uh, college is not exactly the way I want it to be because I have to take a bunch of general education courses, maybe grad school where I can focus in even more on what I'm supposed to do. Maybe if I had that master's or maybe if I had that PhD, then I could get the job that would make me happy. Or maybe if I worked an extra job, or maybe if I worked even harder, or if I gave all of my time and all of my energy to this, then maybe I would find contentment. Now the problem with this is that if we're not careful, it can lead to this never-ending cycle of discontentment. And this happens so often for many of us. Because what, what is so interesting about discontentment is that it always breeds more discontentment. Because if you are discontent in one area of life, what happens so often is that you notice that other areas of your life may not be as good as you thought they would be as well. And now, even if you had everything that your heart desired, you had the perfect job, perfect relationships, all the money in the world, what scripture and experience teaches us is that you will still be discontent. Is that nothing can fulfill these things that we find in this world. I mean, look at King Solomon, for crying out loud. This is the son of David who had everything his heart desired. He prayed to God for wisdom, and God said, not only will I give you that, but I will give you wealth beyond imagining. I will give you a kingdom to govern. I will give you everything you could desire. And yet, this is the same man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, a book that, if you read through it, will instantly lower your mood, Because its conclusion is that all is meaningless and just a chasing after the wind. Some of you know of the famous wealthy man John D. Rockefeller, who was asked once how much money would be enough for him, and his answer was just a little bit more. And similarly, a wealthy landowner was once asked, or he was once quoted to say that he didn't want all the land in the world, just whatever touched his what we can see is that discontentment is prevalent. And if we're honest, this is us. I know if I'm honest with myself, this is me too. Because we are not only discontent as a people, this culture breeds discontentment, doesn't it? I mean, look at advertising. Look at all of the things out there that are trying to tell you to get something better than what you have or happiness is found in the faster boat or the bigger house or the greater relationship or more money or whatever that is. It is breeding discontentment. Now the question I want to ask today is, are we doomed to a life of discontentment or is there any hope? Well, this would be a terribly depressing sermon if I didn't offer any hope for this cycle of discontentment. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be looking at chapter 4. For those of you who have had your bookmark in Genesis, this is about kind of on the opposite end of the Bible. Well, you have a chance to get there. 
James is one of my favorite books, um, not just because I spent way too much time in it when I was in seminary, but because it is rich. It's a very small book. It's easy to kind of skip over, especially because Revelation is so close, and we always want to skip to that. But James just has so much wonderful stuff in it. That's why, Lord willing, if we have enough time, my battery on my uh, microphone says I only have four hours, so we're going to see what we can do. We are going to go through, the, hopefully, the whole chapter of chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 1. So James, writing to Christians at the time, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask, or you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And I'll stop here for just a second and be honest with me. Does this convict anybody else but me? Come on. Yes. I got a hand. This is awesome. So three of us feel this way. And the rest of you are probably nudging your neighbor saying, yeah, you need to listen to this. Now, I'm going to share something. I, I, I again, going to be totally honest with you guys. Um, I have a passion at war within me right now. There's something that is fighting inside my soul almost daily. You see, I want a much bigger TV than I have right now. I do. And hey, this is a war. And the reason it is is because I actually need a bigger TV. It's not just a want. Our current TV is a 32-inch that we sit about 20 feet away from. It's this little teeny thing, and I'm not joking, I have missed major plot points in movies because something was written on the screen that I couldn't read from where I was sitting. And it's safe to say that I am discontent with my television. Safe to say. Now, the war that's going on is that I often think about spending money on just a slightly better TV, like a 65-inch curved 4K OLED smart TV that I think also does your taxes for you and might give you a foot rub if you ask it nicely. But then, here's the war, I think that there are probably sincerely better ways that I could spend that money. I think I heard my wife just say yes. Um, I know, I know in, my, in my heart, in, in the, the parts of me that don't want this TV, that if I use that money for something like supporting a child through compassion, or if I use that money to support ministries, or if I use that to support some of the missionaries that we have here at the church, then the kingdom of God would be substantially more impacted than if I just got a bigger TV. Now, I'm sure we have all, we have all experienced some kind of struggle like this. Now, it could be about money, or it could be about just this desire to have something better than what we have. And what we need to ask, first of all, is honestly ask yourself what passions are at war within you right now. I'm sure there are a bunch. I'm sure that each and every one of us is thinking that we need that greater thing, that better job, that extra money, whatever that is, the bigger TV. And yet what happens is that the war that's going on is do we rather want to serve the kingdom of God or do we want to serve the kingdom of me? Do I want to use that money to further God's work in this world? 
or that time or whatever it would take to get that thing or do I want to use it to further my status, my enjoyment, or my pride? Now, honestly, I'm not saying that having a bigger TV is wrong. Trust me, I've made some very rational arguments about getting this television set. But we all need to ask ourselves if these desires are distracting us from seeing other opportunities to serve God rather than to serve myself. Now, in fact, as we go a little bit further here, James has some pretty strong language to describe those who constantly seek the passions of this world and their own passions rather than seeking God and the things of God. Let's start or continue here in verse 4. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is with no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Just let that sink in for a second. I doubt that many of us have been called adulterers, let alone from holy word of God. This is serious. And this is something that we need to take much more seriously than we do. I know I do. Because honestly, there are times where I think, oh, I could have two friends. I could totally have two friends. I could enjoy the things of the world and I can enjoy the things of God, right? I have enough time for both. And now, while there are things in the world that God made us to enjoy or he made for us, if we have the heart that says that the world and the things of this world are going to give me what only God can give me, well then, in the same way, it's like saying that this other person can give me what only my spouse should give me. Or it's like saying that this person can give me what only my relationships should be able to give me. And as we think about it, James is being perfectly honest and clear when he calls us adulterous toward God when we act this way. And that should hurt a little. It should be convicting to us. When we pursue the things of this world instead of pursuing God, we are in fact cheating on God. It's amazing that we do this so often and I hate this about myself. I hate it. I hate going to something that I know in my heart cannot give me what only God can give me and yet I go to it again and again. I'm like a person who goes, who is dying of thirst and drinks antifreeze because it's a liquid and is wondering why it's killing him. I hate this about myself. I long for God to break me of this as I hope we all long to seek God more than we seek everything else no matter how enticing those other things can be. They are nothing compared to God. We look for contentment in everything other than God, in our money, in our stuff, our relationships, or whatever it is. And the craziest thing about this is that none of them will ever bring us contentment. None of it will, no matter what it tries to sell you or what it tries to say, none of it will bring us contentment. Only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Only God, nothing else. Now, what I love so much about the Christian faith, about this incredible word of God that he has given us, is that this isn't a one-way street. 
God doesn't sit there and expect us to pursue him. No, he pursues us. God created us to desire him and to find our ultimate contentment in him alone, but he actually desires us as well. Now let that sink in for just a second. God desires you. God loves you. And I guarantee that there are some of us in this room who woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and didn't see desirable. Maybe when you woke up and you looked in that mirror, you saw something other than that. Maybe you saw unlovable. Maybe you saw broken. Maybe you wondered how this God could ever love you when you are so far from him. But my friends, God doesn't say, come to me so that I'll love you. He says, I love you, so I came to you in Christ. God isn't waiting for you to clean up. He loves you. He desires you. If you don't feel lovable or worthy, that is a lie. Because you are valuable and you are loved simply because you were created. If you are here right now, if you exist, you're loved. There's no condition. If you exist, you are loved because God chose to create you. He didn't have any obligation. There was nothing within him he needed. He chose to create you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says. And I love how Romans 3.38 in the New Living Translation puts it. I, I just think this is amazing. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Quickly, if this is the first time you have ever heard this, no, this is truth. We don't just say this because it feels good. We say it because it's true. It's in the word of God, and it's the theme of the word of God is God's love. But the problem here is that we often forget this, don't we? Things happen, and life kicks in, and we forget that we are loved and that nothing can separate us from God's love. We forget that God is the only source of our contentment, and we run to other things to try to find it. Remember, we are in a relationship with God, and we need to remember what Pastor Paul Tripp has said once, that when we sin, we are not just breaking God's law. In fact, we're breaking God's heart. We're in a relationship with him. He desires relationship with us, and our sins affect God. They affect him so much that we'll see that he had to do something about it. But now that we see that this problem is deep inside each of us, or maybe the three of us who raised our hands earlier, the problem doesn't stop there. But I, This passage gives us a solution, starting in verse 6. James says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And what we are given is that the answer to all those passions that wage war within us, that cause us to seek satisfaction in the world, and apart from God, cannot be found on anything in this earth, but in actually drawing near to God himself. 
He alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, such as that desire for acceptance, that desire for love, for purpose, for hope, for approval, whatever it is that keeps us awake at night or keeps us from looking in that mirror and seeing anything other than loved and accepted. God fulfills those things. And I, I love this because not only that, but these desires that he put in us, he is the reason they even exist in the first place. These desires are not evil things. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. They're not evil things. They were actually given to us by God. The, the sin comes from when we search for other things to fulfill those desires. In fact, C.S. Lewis actually says that these desires point us to God and are actually one of the greatest proofs of God's existence. In the book Mere Christianity, which if you haven't read it, ask me. I have several copies I would love to either give you or let you borrow. It's an incredible book. In that book, he puts it this way. He says, desire always has fulfillment. Any desire or any lack of satisfaction or contentment in us has to have some sort of fulfillment. So the example that he gives is that if you feel hungry, then logically, there has to be something that would fulfill your desire, that would fulfill your hunger, namely food. If you thirst, then there has to be something that fills that thirst, namely water. But we're not talking about simply hunger or thirst here. We're talking about something much deeper. Something that if we're honest and if we remember the quotes that we read earlier cannot be filled by anything else in this earth. If everything in this earth is yours and you still have this deep longing for something, well, there has to be something that can fill it. And that thing that fills it can't be found in this earth. It has to be found beyond it because honestly, People have tried everything on this earth to find contentment. They've tried it. Maybe some of you have tried it too. And if you can't find that, then there has to be something to fill that desire. And it causes us to look outside of the creation to the creator. The one who filled, gave us that desire means that he created it specifically so that we would always desire him. I think this is amazing to think about. That God created us with a desire that cannot be fulfilled in anything other than him to draw us to him so that we would want him, so that we would desire to be in him. I think it's so, it just gives me such awe in God's creation and his design for this. Only he can fill that desire. Only he can give us what we truly long for in absolute abundance if we just draw near to him. Now, James is pretty clear on some of the action steps here. He Reminds us that the way that we get close to God, the way that we draw near to God, is to do three uh, seemingly easy things, but can be much more difficult in practice. He tells us to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and to draw near to God. Now, submission is one of those words that I think a lot of us kind of bristle at. It's not, it's not a fun word for us. A lot of the time, it's because it hits our pride, and it's like, well, I don't want to submit to anything. Like, I want to conquer everything. I want to be over it. But what God is saying, submission here is not, you know, God desiring to, like, make us low and to push us down. It's honestly just recognizing that he is God and we're really not. It's recognizing how huge and amazing God is and how low we truly are in relation to him. When we realize that everything around us that we go to to find that satisfaction isn't even worth comparing to that of God, 
that our best day on this earth isn't even worth comparing to our worst day in the presence of God, then it gets a lot easier for us to submit and bend that knee to God and ask that his will would be done. And this is really hard for some of us. Some of us, it takes a little bit more. I know for me, sometimes it takes my will failing miserably for me to then say, you know what, God, your will is your will's probably better. I should have sought you first instead of falling and scraping my knees and then having to get up and dust myself off and try again. And for so many of us, this has to be a continuous act. Now, I wish that we could just bow our knee to God once and then everything would just fall into place. But no, our pride gets back in. Our temptations get back in. Life sets back in. And this is something we have to remind ourselves of daily. It's a daily submission to God. This is something we should continuously check if we're seeking our own will or if we're seeking God's will. Think of those passions that war within you and how you're trying to satisfy them. Are you seeking God or are you seeking your own desires? Now, another one of the reasons why this is such a struggle for us is because of the next thing that James asks us to do, to resist the devil. Now, make no mistake, friends, we have an enemy. You're at war right now with a supernatural enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy you, who wants nothing more than to ruin God's plan for you, wants nothing more than to get you to stumble and to fall. Greater than any of our other enemies, the ones of our selfish desires and the world around us, this one searches around seeking who he's going to destroy. And he is real, and my friends, you are not powerful enough to handle him alone. You're not. He has been against God from the beginning, and he has had way more years of studying you and studying humanity and figuring out how it can fall than any of us will ever imagine. He is real, and he wants to destroy us. But I love how James structures this here. He starts with submission to God, he ends with draw near to God, and he sandwiches resist the devil in the middle. And I think that's intentional. The reason he did that is because the beginning and the end of our fight against the devil is not us, but it's God. The beginning and end is not our own power, but it's in God himself. If you are not fighting against the enemies of, this, of us, the enemy himself, the world, your own flesh with God's word, with prayer, with submission to God and drawing near to God, then my question is, what are you fighting him with? And how's that going? No matter how helpless our situation with sin, maybe even you struggle with the same sin over and over and over again and it feels like the devil is impossible to resist, remember that with God there is power to fight sin. With God there's power to kill sin. There's power to resist our enemies that fight against us. Run to him. You cannot handle this on your own. That's why God gives us not only his own presence, but the Holy Spirit himself to dwell within us. We finally say that we should draw near to God. And honestly, this might be the hardest thing for some of us. Because maybe some of us think that God is sitting on a divine throne waiting for us to come crawling to him so that he can hit us with judgment. Some of us may feel like he is that giant bearded man with lightning bolts who is ready to strike us down when we stumble and fall. My friends, that is not the God of Christianity. It's not the God of Scripture. 
That is, couldn't even be farther from the truth. Maybe we think that God's patience has a limit. Or maybe we think that we've sinned one too many times for him to forgive us again and again and again. Maybe we think eventually he's going to put his hand to his forehead and say, I'm done. But my friends, that is not the God we serve. Remember what we've heard already. God doesn't stand ready to judge you. He stands ready to embrace you. He doesn't stand ready to condemn you, but in fact, he actually took your condemnation for you and wants to hand it to you as a gift. He doesn't stand ready to dole out punishment, but chose instead to take your punishment and give you purity and a perfect record and an eternity spent with him. And all he asks is that you draw near to him and he will draw near to you, no conditions, no asterisks, no fine print, period. For those who maybe have, are not familiar with this, who have not heard the Christian message before, who haven't given their lives to Christ, hear that this discontentment goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity. This isn't just something you struggle with. This isn't just a modern thing. Even Adam and Eve, the first humans, struggled with discontentment, and they lived in the perfect world in God's presence. He walked with them in the cool of the day. I can't imagine what that's like. And yet, the serpent comes in and says, you can have more. What you have right now isn't enough. You can have the knowledge of good and evil if you go against God and you eat of this tree. So what they did, and if we're honest, we would probably do it too, they ate. As we've seen in this passage, we all sympathize with the original sin. And as much as we're told by this world that contentment and that longing of our soul can be satisfied through something more, more will never be enough because what our hearts are truly longing for is not more. Our hearts truly long for the Creator Himself. If you're sitting here and you feel like your life is full of discontentment, if you feel like that nothing, everything that you have tried to, to satisfy your soul has failed, then my friends, that desire cannot be fulfilled by anything other than Christ Himself. Jesus is God, and he's the only way to God, and in him alone will you find satisfaction and contentment. God cares so much for you and desires you so completely that instead of allowing you to live an eternity away from him in sin, Jesus came down, took your penalty for sin, paid it in full on the cross, and all he asks from you is belief. He doesn't put hoops in front of you. He doesn't ask you to fulfill five things or 20 things. He says, believe that this is true, and you will have life. Romans 10.9 can't make it any clearer. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. My friends, my question to you would be, what is keeping you from finding that which you truly long for? And finally, James gives us a specific example that applies today, and I definitely want to make sure our graduates hear this. So let's actually jump down to verse 13 in chapter 4 as we get this example. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. My friends, remember your reasons. Think of your reasons when you start or for seeking a new job or for seeking more schooling or for seeking more of anything. Are those reasons motivated by selfish things, by trying to get a desire that only God can fill? Or are you motivated by the Lord's will for you? You see, the merchants that James is addressing here are boasting that they will make tons of money in a new place, that the grass is greener on this other side, but yet God, through James, reminds us that this life is merely a blink in light of eternity and that we aren't truly certain of anything. No matter how much research you do into job markets, it's always a risk to say that you will go to a certain school, will earn a certain degree, and will make tons and tons of money afterward or will be content in that job. God may have a different path for you. I speak from experience because I love when people ask about my path to becoming a pastor because it is windy and it is evidence that I had nothing to do with it. It was all God. After high school, I was considering going uh, where to go between art school or the army, which shows you already how conflicted I truly was. I went with art school because of a scholarship and I got a degree in industrial design. After realizing that the job market wasn't what I thought, I went into automotive design and I graduated in 2008. Um, so the automotive um, market tanked at that point. I worked some different jobs and was free to use the skills I learned as a fabricator to help rebuild homes in Mississippi on missions trips. While I was there, I got to work with youth. And I got to see them take their faith from their head, through their heart, into their hands as they helped people rebuild the homes that were destroyed in Hurricane Katrina. And as I continued to work with them, I was called by my church and I was called by others to go to seminary to learn what it would be to be a pastor. And now I have the opportunity to work with youth, some pretty incredible youth, on a regular basis here in Iowa. It's interesting to think that this art grad now was told by God to go to seminary where papers were much longer and doodling in the margins was now frowned upon. And by God's grace alone, I was able to finish my seminary degree and see through many interesting, seemingly disconnected paths, God orchestrated the decisions and the events that brought me here. Graduates, you right now are at the start of an incredible story. You're at the start of a story that may not end up the way you thought it would, but if you give your will to God, he will direct you. And honestly, the sooner you realize that it's going to be God's will for you whether you want it or not, the better it's going to be for you. Because we've seen, at least in my story, that God had plans for me that were different than what I thought and they were better than I could have imagined. So if you have a decision coming up, even if you haven't just graduated, you're wondering about a new job or you're wondering about moving into a house, whatever it is, and you don't know what to do, seek God. And my friends, I can't promise that God will answer the way that you want, it to, want him to, but I can promise that God hears and answers prayer. We find contentment only when we seek God's will because he cares for us. He wants us to come alongside him as he works and he wants to spend time with his kids.
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, my friends. May we all draw nearer to God today. We join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your will is knowable to us. That, God, you don't just direct and move in ways that we cannot ascertain, but, Lord, you actually ask us to seek you. You promise to draw near to us if we draw near to you. So, God, I pray for my friends here today as they try to discern your will, Lord, whether it be for what school to go to, what career to enter into. Lord, even for some of my friends in here who are discerning your will for their life, whether it now is the time for them to draw near to you for the first time. God, I pray that you would make these decisions clear as they seek you. That you would bring them the contentment that they so desperately desire. And that, Father, you would lead us not to further our kingdom, but to further yours. I pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.